This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is David Dohan. He's the chief executive officer and founder at a company called True Signal. He brings a successful track record of executive leadership at growing both private and public venture-backed companies and has been a pioneer in online marketing since 1997. David, are you ready to take us to the top? Let's do it. All right. Tell us about True Signal. What's the revenue model and what's the company do? Sure. So uh, we're a predictive analytics and data company really focused on helping digital brands and MarTech platforms uh, use data for more effective targeting. So that's kind of in a nutshell. Revenue model really, I mean, in, the company's been around since 2012. Okay. Uh, and so we've, uh, we've had actually a couple of different revenue models. We started out looking a little bit more like an agency where we're kind of managing campaigns directly for brands. Didn't like that model. It's hard to make that work. Uh, guarantee revenue models uh, just doesn't really exist in the media space. And so within the last, I'd say, kind of you know, 18 months or so, we really f- flipped the business around and really focused on uh, establishing ourselves as helping the MarTech stacks out there with our technology, uh, integrating our technology into their solutions to help power some of other people's MarTech stacks. And, and really in doing that, we turned it more from a media-driven kind of month-to-month model more to, I would say, more of a SaaS-inspired model, where we're having some kind of minimum monthly uh, revenues associated with our integrations, but then we are we partner with our, our with our customers to build products together and grow them. So there's some, some upside potential as well in the mm-hmm. business. So the model is kind of a SaaS-inspired, I would say. And what would you say the average customer pays you per month, just so we can get a sense of what size you're playing with? Sure. So um, the average kind of minimums that we see across the board about twenty five thousand dollars per month. Okay. And now is that a uh, minimum or is that an average? That's, uh, that's the, uh, that's a minimum. Okay. Yeah. So and again, relatively small customer base. So we have 16 or so active customers. And so we have a minimum and then we really partner with folks to kind of get the upside. Uh, so that's, that's the model. What do you mean by that partner with folks to get the upside? Sure. So, um, when the, the 25,000 or so per month kind of covers the cost, the integration, the support, but what we're really doing is we're helping our customers grow revenue. And so most of our contracts have a revenue share model to them. So oh. uh, as we build products together and we, we, uh, we staff to help them take it to market, provide support. So it, it's very much a channel model, almost like a, 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 we think of ourselves as a little bit like an Intel inside for MarTech. So we're powering some of the capabilities of the MarTech stacks, but then we partner with them to really sell it and turn it into real revenue. Okay, got it. Um, so you have two revenue streams. One is a revenue kind of cut. The other is the pure SaaS play. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's right. And the pure SaaS play, there's 16 people paying a minimum of 25 grand. So you guys are doing north of 400 grand a month just from that stream. Is that accurate? That's correct. Okay, got it. And generally speaking, how fast is that growing? Where was that stream, call it 13 months ago in December 2016? Yeah, that, well, that stream was about half of where it was. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, about 12 months ago, right? In terms of like signing up additional partners. So 
we, um, you know, given the nature of our business, there's, you know, maybe 80 or 90 or so players out there that we could potentially partner with. And so, you know, we're, we're well on our way to kind of knocking some of them down. So it's not a massive customer base, but we do get integrated. We spend a lot of time nurturing that relationship, co-selling. So my objective really is to get kind of customers kind of a minimum of 50,000 a month. And we like to see customers closer to 100,000 per month uh, kind of recurring. And that's, that's a mixture, of course, of the SaaS plus the upside model. So that's, yep. that's really what we shoot for. That's good. Now, did you, I assume you guys, did you break 5 million in AR last year with both streams together? Yes. Got it. Will you break 10 million this year? I don't know if we'll hit 10. Okay. I'd love to. Uh, we're, uh, it's, uh, some of these things take a little longer, but, uh, yeah, we, we'll, we'll shoot for 10. That's what, that's what the board loves to hear. That's but uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. You mentioned a board. How much have you raised? So, uh, interesting story. So true signal was actually incubated inside of another company called eBureau. Um, so I was an employee of eBureau. We started out with two employees, more of a skunk works kind of bootstrapping, if you will. So the, the company was funded by the parent company for a number of years. eBureau was just sold to TransUnion, uh, in a, in a, in a public transaction back in October. So as part of that transaction, we had a couple of choices. We could either, you know, potentially be acquired with the parent company or spin out. And so the board, uh, saw a lot of big upside potential. So we raised a 5 million round and spun it off as a separate independent company back in October of uh, 2017. So smart. I want to dive deeper here so others can do the same thing at their companies yep. if this happens. Um, yeah. Which board made that decision? The acquiring company of Ebro or the Ebro board prior to the acquisition? The Ebro board prior. Yeah. Okay. So the Ebro board prior. That so one. they... Now, was the cap table at that point, they own some percentage as the company and then you and maybe your other co-founder own the other chunk? Yeah, that's right. So as part of the um, as part of the the corporate structure, uh, there was the parent company and then there was two kind of incorporations under that parent umbrella company. So the cap tables were completely separated. A lot of work was done on the legal side, to be clear, to make sure the IP has been separated. That's one of the big issues yep. you're going to get into, right? Especially for technology and data company. How, how is the IP commingled? So we did a lot of things to make sure that those are separated, both physically as well as legally uh, and documented well, so that when it came time to do the spin out, um, you know, it was an easier transaction, but that's because really smart people had done things for the last three years to kind of get us ready for that uh, event. What portion did Ebro own? Uh, of, of the, uh, portion of uh, true signal before the spin out. Um, so E, so the parent company called X tech, uh, was the holding company. So they owned you know, a hundred percent, right? So obviously there was some, you know, ownership to employees. Um, you know, well, did you own any underneath that and the board held? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I did on some, but not anything like they owned a hundred percent. Yeah. So a uh, private company, same balance sheet. There was uh, separate equity plans for true signal and e-bureau. Okay. So I think what you're getting at is uh, kind of what kind of kind of, o- kind of overall ownership, it was roughly kind of an 80, 20 split, right? So 80% was kind of owned by kind of the board really, uh, as well as, uh, the, the 20% was, uh, employees. Got it. So 20% was you, the co-founder, maybe other employees in an option pool. 80% yep. was owned by the parent company. You, once yeah. the spin out happened, you said, we need to go raise 5 million bucks to essentially buy out the 80%. And now VCs on that 80% or are you able to sell only maybe 20% and increase your option pool for employees? Well, it turns out it was the same, uh, the same VCs kind of funded it that owned it before. Right. So we have very supportive board. They, you know, kicked in some more money. So they kind of retained their ownership share and took a little bit more, obviously, right, as part of the as part of the spin out. So, 
Um, that's how we did it. Now, let me, so let me ask you this as a guy that can kind of go out, do his own thing. You're doing all the hard work that an entrepreneur would do if they owned a hundred percent of the company, except you've got kind of capital partners. Why didn't you just go out and start from scratch instead of going through all this work of separating and making sure it was a clean cut? Yeah. So uh, a couple of reasons. One, um, the business that we're in is heavily, it's pretty heavily uh, capital intensive, right? So to be in the data business, um, you need to, you know, you, we license data from many different places. So we're licensing, you know, on, on the order of, you know, a couple million dollars worth of data every single year. That's just kind of a fixed cost of operating, right? What so, are some of those sources, if you don't mind me asking, are you talking like full contact? Yeah. So name and address with things like past purchases, the kinds of people, the things that people bought online and offline, demographic data, census data, uh, vehicle ownership, voter registration files, right? Summarize credit information. So to really do this well, you have to have a pretty broad spectrum of data. And that's extremely capitally intensive, right? I'd love to bootstrap it, but man, that would require, you know, writing a $2 million check before you've made dollar. That's just because you're paying all these people that collect the data, you know, a, a number of cents per record. Yeah, that's right. And, and the interesting thing about the model is it's pretty highly leveraged. That's a fixed cost to the to our business. So the more I use the data, right, the you know the closer to get to break even. And then after you break even, it's a pretty highly leveraged model, right? Because your your kind of your fixed costs are, are are really going to be people, the data costs, and that's about it. There's very few marginal costs associated with the business. So as soon as you hit that inflection point, you're happy, right? From a from a gross margins perspective. Got it. So you said, uh, I want to make sure I got the number right. You said you're doing 2 million. So in, in yearly yeah, cou- expenses on data. Yeah. A couple million in yearly expenses on data, right? Then got you got it. the staffing costs on top of it, right? So kind of data processing a couple million dollars as required to kind of, kind of, that's the, to, to, to kind of hit the, uh, the data costs, but it gets better over time, obviously with scale. It does. You, you, yeah, so absolutely. even, even if you scale your customer base to scale revenue, which that doesn't require you to pay for more data records from those same sources. No, it, it turns out that we're licensing the data uh, on a SaaS model, it's a fixed fee, like annual cost to license the data. And we have, you know, unlimited usage rights of that data. That's interesting. Yep. Those companies, mm-hmm. they have unlimited, they don't try and put a record up there to upsell you later on. Yeah, no, they don't. I mean, that's, that's just been the history of the data licensing business. Now there's rules and restrictions on how we can and can't use the data. We can't resell it, for example. So there's, you know, there's some collars around it. So we have to make sure we're using the data appropriately and legally. But um, that, that is the history. I mean, look, in, from, a, from a revenue model, we're taking a little bit of risk on the data up front, right? We're paying up front. But then, you know, as the business scales, we kind of, you know, reap those rewards on the back end. Many of you know, I am buying companies that I really, really like. And there's no quicker way for me to get to the bottom of what is happening on that website than using this tool called NathanLaka.com forward slash hot jar, H-O-T-J-A-R. It basically will give me a recording, okay? When anybody lands on the website, it'll give me a recording of where the viewer is scrolling and obviously does the basic stuff like heat maps too. But I learn so much about where the users are scrolling and clicking on my site using that tool. It helps me increase conversion rates, make more money and grow those businesses faster. And we'll have to see what happens with those businesses, but I'm buying them. I'm buying them very quick and I'm using nathanlaka.com forward slash hot jar for all of my website analytics. You can too. I work with them. It's totally free. You can go to nathanlatka.com forward slash hot jar. No credit card required. Again, use it as much as you want. nathanlaka.com forward slash hot jar. I'll see you there. You sound like if anyone listening ever wants to run for president, you'd be the guy to hire to manage the data operation, huh?
<laughs> well, we have dabbled in the uh, in the analytics on the uh, on the uh, voter side. It's it's a it's a fascinating, dynamically moving market. So pretty exciting. Is it clear to you, looking at this past election, why everyone got it wrong when you understand start understanding where they capture their data from? Interesting. Um, so I'm I'm more reflecting on some of the analytics, right? And so my read on how people misread it was really a function of the way that people got data and feedback and survey is a little bit antiquated, right? The, the nature of this, uh, the way that you conduct surveys, my sense is that's a little bit out of step with reality, right? So unless you're doing a really good job of balancing the population, people using mobile phones, people responding to emails, people responding to, you know, to tweets, right? It's really difficult to get a representative sample of the U.S. population. So that's, that's my kind of analytics take on it, is this the survey methodology is not caught up with the reality of the way people communicate with each other, right? CAC, what are you spending to acquire these customers? Um, you know, I haven't looked at it lately, but, you know, a, a, a decent amount, right? If you think about it, um, these are some of the biggest brands in the world, right? So the sales cycles on some of this is going to be six to nine months. So if you imagine, you know, carrying a bag, uh, bag carrying salesperson, you know, six to nine months going to the trade shows, like meet and greets, um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty hefty tech. Uh, are we talking ticket. like 100 grand, 200 grand? I mean, what do you think? No, if I had to average it out, I would say probably closer to kind of the forty to fifty thousand dollars is kind of what it would be. That's not bad though. If you're they're paying yeah. you twenty five grand a month, your payback is two months basically. Yeah, that's it's not bad. It's, yeah. it's not bad at all. Now, um, have you outside of that five million to do the the buyout in the first place? Have you raised any additional capital or no? Nope, have not, and uh, you know don't intend to. Knock on wood, right? Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're, you know, obviously keeping a tight eye on the burn rate, keeping a tight eye on the growth rate. So those are, you know, things that I look at on a regular basis to make sure we're tracking. What do you look at when you look at burn rate? Do you do that as a, you know, a multiple sure. of cash and bank and try and keep that in a range or how do you do that? Sure. So, um, we, you know, built some forecasting models. We have enough of an operating history that we understand kind of AP and R, AR flows, right? So as, you know, revenue flows in, as cash payments flow out, um, we have a pretty good uh, understanding of the rhythms in our business now when people pay. Um, so that's one thing we, we, we keep an eye on. The other thing we keep an eye on and, you know, we like to do is prepays, right? So from a cash perspective, um, we have a number of clients that are happy to prepay us. Again, taking a page from the SaaS playbook. So if you can get a major brand to pay you, prepay a couple hundred thousand dollars up front, it's always a good thing from a cash perspective. And then, you know, just really mindful on return on investment, right? So one of our bigger expenses is um, related to marketing costs, right? So getting in front of people, uh, attending the event. So we always do some pretty detailed ROI analysis to just for bang for the buck, right? I'm what not event, a big fan. What event do you get your most bang for your buck at when you sponsor? Sure. So there's uh, there's a handful of there's uh, we just went to a consumer electronics show CES in yep. Vegas and that was a huge ROI and again not because we sponsored some big booth we we were very stealthy about it we rented a suite at the Aria we invited specific partners to that suite and we just had you know face conversations face to face conversations and so there's such a high concentration of our prospects at the meeting it was very efficient. And the other thing you get is serendipitous meetings, right? So you're at a cocktail party, you run into an old buddy or a friend of a friend, and it's a way to prospect in a way that's a little more, I would say, um, uh, gorilla, as opposed to, could we spend $50,000 and get on stage for a talk that, you know, maybe 100 people attend? Sure you can, right? They're happy to take the money, but that's not the approach that we've taken. So CES is a great one in that regard for our industry. What would you say you spend, you know, on mo each month on average on paid channels? Uh, tiny, super tiny. Less than I mean, what? And, and, yeah, I mean, l less than a thousand dollars. Oh wow, right? okay. Yeah, from from a because I mean, our unless you're sponsoring are, an event or something. Yeah, if we're sponsoring events, so you know, from a marketing perspective, we'll spend you know this year roughly half a million dollars or so okay. in terms all of marketing. In. That's that's flights all to in. the event, everything. 
yeah, that's all in. That's Got exactly it. right. And what's your team size to date? Uh, we're 27 people. Okay. Where are you guys all based? Uh, we've got, um, so I'm in San Francisco. We've got an office here of about six or seven people here. We've got a, an engineering team, a great engineering team based in uh, Minnesota, of course, okay. of all places. Uh, we've got people in New York, people in Austin, people in, uh, uh, people in Chicago. So some of the sales folks are, and support people are spread throughout. Good. Last two questions here on economics. What do you assume a customer is worth to you over the lifetime? I know it's a tricky one. Yeah, tricky. Um, the, uh, so given, minimum. yeah, get, I mean, a minimum that we want to see is, is 600,000, right? If you think about kind of one year, the recurring revenue of so 600,000 is really kind of what we would like to uh, shoot for from a yep. minimum perspective. Which, which, Otherwise, it's, it's really tough to get out of bed for, for less than that, given the, given the model, right? Yep. That's essentially two and a half or three years of contracts, right? Yeah. That, or, that's or renewals. Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, mm-hmm. Do you look at any churn metrics considering the base is so small or no? You know, we we don't at this point just because there's not enough of a baseline under this new model. Under the old model, I'll tell you, when we're chasing media dollars, the churn rate was very high because it's it's one month commits. It's on. It's in, easy on, easy off. So under the old model, it was it was not good, which is why we flipped to this new model. So again, we don't have enough history there. If I had to look back over the last you know, year and a half, our churn would be roughly like, you know, eight percent on an annual basis so revenue or logo uh, uh logo yeah i haven't looked at it on a revenue basis on a Got logo it. basis Got it. that's pretty good okay good let's wrap up here with the famous five uh, number one okay. is your what's your favorite business book david uh crossing the chasm it's a good one jeffrey moore beautiful orange cover number two is there a ceo you're following or studying right now i'm a big fan of bezos okay number three what's your favorite online tool for growing the business uh skype Okay, that's good. And uh, number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Um, so usually eight, but we just got a new puppy, so it's down to five and a half hours of sleep. <laughs> that's an expensive puppy. Uh, yeah. So current situation, married, single, do you have kids? Uh, married with four kids and one in college, so wow. go oh, yeah. Wow, four kids. Okay, and how old are you? Uh, I'm uh, f- uh, just about 50. I turned 50 in a couple of weeks. Oh, congratulations. Okay, good. Last question. Take us back to your 20-year-old self, David. What do you yeah. wish he knew? Um, I would say that really gets back to, um, uh, just really good hiring practices, right? So I think it's, uh, the amount of money you waste with a bad hire is a multiple of, uh, what you'd expect, right? So forget the difference in salary, like a bad hire can set you back six months and hundreds of thousands of dollars in losses. So be really, really good and also be really honest when you hire someone, right? They're the worst thing you want to do. And I've, and I've been this in my career where you hire someone and you know you don't want to be in a situation where they don't know what they're walking into. So be really candid with people in interviews, the good and bad and the ugly, right? And so if you're forthright and honest, you'll you'll establish that relationship from the beginning. So honesty and, and pay for the good talent and do a good job of finding because it's worth every penny. They're doing between 5 million and 10 million per year. David with True Signal says hire smart. Otherwise you can burn a lot of capital. They've got about 16 customers paying on average 25 grand a month for them uh, to understand really how to uh, understand the data going through their marketing stack and really making those that stuff more efficient. They've got a team of about 27 people based uh, all across the country. Super Healthy Economics, 8% logo churn annually, uh, growing, uh, almost doubling year. We're actually doubling year over year. So December 2016, uh, about half what they're at today. Uh, David, congrats on the growth and thank you for taking us to the top. All right, thank you.